You kind of, in a sense, can't ex escape the mess of language learning. Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica Kumar. In 2006, I first came to India for work and basically never looked back. My journey took me through learning Hindi, living in multiple parts of India, The Invisible India podcast isn't just a place where I share about being married to an Indian, being a foreigner in India, the language learning process, and cross-cultural parenting, but it is a platform to highlight the lesser-known aspects of Indian culture by featuring stereotype-breaking Indians making waves in society. So Headphone lagake suniye hamare saath. Namaste sablo, Jessica here. This week I am sharing with you my talk from Burning Man Camp Languages. It just happened a couple weeks ago and I wanted to share it with you all with permission from Burning Man. The title of my session was learning a new language and culture without losing yourself. I think this is something people ask me a lot is how did you adjust Indian culture? How did you find yourself living in a completely different culture for more than a decade? How has this affected you? And to share my experiences and uh, give some practical points of what we can do as language learners to be respectful to the culture from whom we are learning and how to make the most of language learning cultural exchange lifestyle. Feel free to check out this talk also on YouTube and you can see my face talking to you. First, I want to start off with thanking our new Patreon member at the elite level, Heather. Thank you so much for joining. I want to share about my three favorite Hindi learning programs. One is GPA method, very similar to how I learned one is a self-paced online program, and one is a group class with native speakers. So number one, Launch India. It's a Hindi-Urdu language and orientation service offering online and in-person language sessions using an immersive and relational approach called the GPA. They offer flexible scheduling suited to meet the varied needs of language learners. They offer Hindi script workshops, grammar workshops, and kids' classes as well. So check out launchin.in for more information and mention Invisible India to receive a 10% discount off of your first 100 hours of language sessions. I know several people who've had success with this program and it's very similar to how I learned, so I can definitely recommend this approach. Number two, Sanskar teaching. This is a self-paced, gentle approach. This is an online, it's it's totally on your own, whatever you want to do. She also has a bunch of products which are really fantastic. They're very, very well done. You can go to sanskarteaching.com and use code INVISIBLEINDIA on any of their online courses for 15% off. Number three, Language Curry. Language Curry provide group classes for many different Indian languages, Gujarati, Tamil, Marathi, and many more. These are online classes with a native speaker. Use the code INVISIBLEINDIA to get 10% off an already very reasonably priced set of courses. So those are my three top recommendations for this month. I really hope some of you can take advantage of these awesome programs. Launch India, Sanskar Teaching, and Language Curry are all listed on my offers page on my website invisibleindiapodcast.com slash offers. All the codes, websites, spellings are all listed there. 
Hope that this can help some of you. Shelly, let's get into the show. Today's topic is learning a new language and culture without losing yourself. I want to start a little bit with story time and why I want to share about this topic. When I was 23, I moved to India. I moved for work, but I accepted the position because I was very interested in India. My father was an international business person and I was up for the challenge, really. So that was 16 years ago. And now I'm here living in Northern India and people often tell me that, oh, you've become so Indian. Indian uh, But what they really mean is not that I've actually become Indian. It means a little bit of something else. So let's dive in. When I first moved to India as a young, impressionable, fresh out of college, 23 year old, I had this idea that I was going to go and learn a new language and uh, just kind of turn the world upside down. I was going to build my resume and I was going to, you know, reinvent myself as a young person and learn all about the world and, and make some impact in the business world. I was uh, joining an IT company at that time and I was also involved in a little bit of volunteer work on the side. And I just had this these kind of notions that as an American, I um, wanted to like I was almost doing a favor to uh, the local people by learning their language or by being a part of their culture. And oh, how wrong I was. <laughs> my language learning experience started in, my language learning experience was very much immersion based. So I wasn't necessarily doing a class. It was a program where it was an immersive experience. So I would go and my goal was to just talk to people as much during the day as I could. I would have different projects that I would do where I would go and uh, learn s certain phrases and words where I would go and practice those throughout the day. I would listen, have a lesson with a local person, and I would just listen to different phrases. I would say, okay, I want to learn how to say, how are you? How much does this cost? What is your name? Different things like that. They were kind of basic parts of the, uh, you know, any, most languages. And, um, then I would go and practice those things at home later on in the day. Then I would go out and speak those things 10 times, 15 times to whomever, and then see what the reaction was. So this was uh, also part of what's called the GPA, uh, the growing participant uh, approach. And I think that's a fantastic approach for language learning. But it is also kind of one of those things where, you know, it, 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 it forces you to, um, you know, completely adapt and put yourself in a, in a learning position. It doesn't allow you to kind of remain in this intellectual box or a book kind of setting where you're breaking down the language grammatically. It really forces you to be in and living the language, which uh, particularly for Hindi, which is what I um, was learning at the time, was very much required. Many languages in South Asia, I think, are best learned by the immersive experience about living with people, learning the cultural nuances, spending time with native speakers. There are many apps. There are so many uh, 
different um, uh, you know programs that you can do online which those can help but there's nothing that can replace that immersive experience and that does require you to really put yourself in kind of a different world so for me at that those beginning phases I definitely went through this experience of kind of uh, totally immersing myself and and putting these expectations on myself that I needed to learn everything I needed to completely uh, delve into the culture I would barely call friends and family back home I was told by my supervisor you know for six months really just try not to speak English so I think with that of course you're going to feel that uh, you know you, you are disconnected a bit from yourself and a bit from your roots and I think that's fine but of course there can be dangers in that as well. India is one of those places particularly where a lot of people end up to like find themselves in some way or you, you know if you watch Eat Pray Love India is one of these you know exotic places where people kind of wander around and, and go to an ashram and go to do yoga. Maybe some of you have also uh, been here and, and done some of those things. And uh, there's this expectation of, in the midst of the chaos and in the midst of just how completely opposite it is from our Western civilization, that there's, there's something to be found, there's something to be grasped, there's something that um, we can uh, take away from the experience and I think that's definitely true but things can also kind of turn south if we're not careful. India is definitely one of those places where uh, this whole losing yourself can happen very easily. The constant pressure to conform to societal standards, to be uniform and be uh, particularly if you're married to a person of Indian origin or if you want to live there for a long time, if you're working or if you're kind of a part of the community in some intimate way, the pressure to become Indianized is very, very strong. And uh, one of the uh, uh, favorite thing for Indians to do, uh, in my experience, is to uh, like Indianize new foreigners who are here for the experience. So it's not uncommon to you know get dressed up in a sari and for uh, local friends to kind of doll doll you up if you're if you're a female or for you know I think a lot of people feel very flattered in India when uh, foreigners take on their culture with respect and allow them to kind of. Um, uh, fuss over you a bit to you know in Indianize you at least from the external point of view. So in this whole process of becoming Indian, which we'll talk about dismantling that later, it almost subconsciously can become a goal. There are these questions of uh, do you like spicy food? Or do you know how to wear a sari? Do you speak Hindi, Punjabi, Gujarati, whatever, insert language into that blank. And if you don't, there's a polite but yet slightly disappointed look that comes over the face of the local person, like, oh, okay. <laughs> you're, and you feel this sense of that you're not like a, a good enough foreigner. So how do you remain yourself while also learning and adapting to a new culture as powerful and as intoxicating as India, for example. When I was living in northern India as a young person, I often felt this pressure where people would ask me constantly, uh, Ab kab kar rio? You know, when are you getting married? Ab Indian se karogi? Are you going to get married to an Indian? Um, 
or aap khana banati ho do you make what kind of indian food do you make all these kind of questions where really i was working there i was living there but my goal wasn't initially necessarily to uh completely enculturate myself in indian culture however that seemed to be kind of the expectation from others around me and there's one moment that i can particularly think of you know after so much pressure from the outside of you know wear the clothes and do the dance and make make the food and learn the language and all of these things i had a breakdown it was at my birthday i believe it was my 24th or 25th birthday and some of my friends had come over to my house and uh we were getting ready so i had I had my outfit. I was putting on my makeup and I was getting dressed. Where I was living is uh, Haridwar, which is in the northern part of India, kind of near Rishikesh, but it's a place where mostly locals live. Not so many foreigners are there, especially 15 years ago when I was there. So, uh people weren't necessarily used to foreigners. Neither did they need to be. It was their country. I was there as a guest. Back in the early 2000s, we had this kind of like wavy hairstyle. with uh you kind of gel it and then kind of just scrunch it if what we used to call scrunching and uh then you could just kind of pin it up in the messy hair. So I definitely had that hairstyle and that hairstyle is not popular in India. Especially at that time and people just thought it was the grossest thing um and this these girls would always tell me oh you need to brush your hair. So I was putting up my hair and kind of getting ready for the party and this girl literally took a comb and started brushing my gelled hair and like no you you need to brush it you know you need to brush the hair and she started pulling my hair to brush and I just felt um like enough is enough like I'm not going to conform anymore I'm going to be me I don't need to go along with this any longer and I just said you know ab ab ruk jaiye mere mujhe chhodiye mujhe akela chhodiye just leave my hair please don't mess with my hair and so I think that was a breaking point for me to realize that what are my motivations here why am I actually trying to learn hindi and why do I feel the pressure to completely become indian wear the clothes have the hairstyle eat the food so i needed to examine a little bit deeper what my motivations were and why uh i reacted so harshly against someone that was just going along with the messages that i had kind of conveyed to inculturate myself so if you're going to be immersing yourself in a new culture a new language uh how can you prevent these things from happening like what happened to me <laughs> number 1 is i would say you kind of in a sense can't ex- escape the mess of language learning it will be messy it will be chaotic but i think it really depends on getting the right motivations and understanding your motivations from the beginning i guess i should correct that There's no one right motivation for learning a language, but I think understanding what your true motivations are can be really helpful to having the best experience possible. So, number 1, understanding your true motivations. You might not actually have to express those once you've realized them, but locals will figure it out pretty quickly once you uh get into relationship and start the learning process. 
I think, of course, it's always a good thing to have a high view or a positive view of the culture from which you're trying to learn. I think that's mostly a pretty natural thing. I can't necessarily think of a lot of circumstances where someone would have a negative view and then want to spend years of their life to um, learn and enculturate into a place. But really having a high view of the culture and a high view of the people from whom you're trying to learn, I think is an, a critical first step. So what would some possible motivations be? Would it be to find acceptance in a new culture? Would it be to find yourself, which we've already talked about? Is it to try and help people? Are you working with some kind of a nonprofit organization or uh, are you in some kind of community where you, there's a lot of need and you have a specific skill set which can serve the people where uh, that's not being met currently by the local economy? Are you trying to learn a new language to build your resume? Nothing wrong with that. It's just good to know. Or do you have a love interest in that other culture whom you're trying to impress or get to know or get to know their family? For me, I had a combination of all of those at different points in my journey. So it's just good to know kind of where your motivations are and then aligning your learning experience with those motivations. Number two, of course, I think we need to talk about decolonizing the language learning process. For me personally, as a white female living in Northern India, in regions where there are really not many foreigners, I've been confronted quite often with white privilege, with post-colonial kind of lull and um, assumptions about white people, Americans, uh, white females in particular. So I think understanding those core uh, misunderstandings in the beginning and going in with that knowledge is incredibly helpful to whatever culture that you're going to be learning about. Sometimes, as a newbie in a new culture, you will be asked to do strange things. Story time. I was quite new in uh, India at the time, and I think I had been around a year and a half in, um, in northern India, and I was visiting an orphanage in Kolkata. Some local friends of mine had invited me around Christmas time. And they uh, said, you know, let's, you can help with the Christmas program. We're doing all these things. So going in knowing that I was going to be with a bunch of locals and the single white person, I, of course, underestimated the amount of spotlight and attention that was going to be on me. Foolishly, I didn't realize how much of an effect that would have on the program and the work that these folks were trying to do. Christmas pageant started and one of the leaders asked me, Jessica, would you please help us and dress up like Mrs. Claus. You can do some entertainment for us. The kids will love it. It will be fantastic. So stupidly, I thought, you know, this is one of the leaders. I probably shouldn't let her down. It would be kind of funny. I'm fine doing silly things. I don't mind. Then things got weird. I dressed up like Mrs. Claus. She, I, I walked down the aisle. I did, you know, we all sang some Christmas songs, things like that. Then it was time to pass out the Christmas gifts. And instead of having the local leaders give out the gifts in some kind of a systematic way, 
they appointed me as Mrs. Claus to go and throw out Christmas gifts from a large bag. Now, if you know anything about India, there's some very strange colonial history, and especially when it comes to um, the damage that the British have done in India, there's some very strange feelings about, um, you know, white people and, and, and like giving and overgiving and kind of dependencies that are created, especially even by uh, nonprofit organizations and things like that. So. It is a very sensitive issue to, as a white person, just be going out into some area, like throwing out money and gifts. It, it's, it's actually incredibly harmful. And so even though these weren't my gifts to give, they had me pass them out. I felt very weird about this, but I was already kind of halfway down the slide at that point, and I went along with it. Um, being put on a pedestal like that made me feel very strange and yet I realized that I was not being myself but I was playing the part of some um, white individual that had been glorified uh, without even having to earn that position. What I should have done was decline and taken a back seat and said, okay, I'll dress up like Mrs. Claus and just sit there and uh, you know, you guys lead it. This is your orphanage, you're the ones that are doing the work, you're the ones that know these kids. You should be the one to pass out the gifts, you should be the one to take the credit, to lead the songs, to do this. I can sit there and they can take pictures with me and whatnot. I was the token foreigner and I went along with it and when I really shouldn't have. So I should have declined, taken a back seat, rather than allowing myself to be used as a token. In these cases, it's easy to blame the locals and say, well, they're the ones that made me do it. I didn't know. Uh, I think this happens more than you would think, and I think you really need to uh, be cognizant of some of these things as a foreigner, saying that I may be asked to do some things that are a bit strange, and it's always better to remain on the safe side rather than kind of fulfilling this role of um, a, a token foreigner in some sense to accomplish something I may not even be aware of. You may also be asked to do things which really don't fit your values. And um, for me, of course, that, that, this was an example of me kind of losing myself. I would never want to support this kind of um, white saviorism concept that I'm here giving out all these toys uh, as a white person, as a Mrs. Claus figure, and when really the locals are the ones that have done all the work and know these kids. Um, but because I was kind of in the whole wanting to please people and wanting to be culturally sensitive uh, when it was actually ignorance, I ended up perpetuating a harmful stereotype. So it was really my responsibility, even as the guest, to be aware of that ahead of time. All right, number three, we gotta talk about white privilege. <laughs> <laughs> it has a lot to do with the language learning process and even if you are a person who is a person of color or you're going to somewhere where if you are a white person and you're in uh, a white community, I think we still need to be aware of some of these things. So acknowledging the fact that it does exist, myself being a, um, a white female who has learned fluent Hindi in India, I get a lot of undue attention, or maybe there is some due attention, but not the amount that I give, so th that I receive. So if somebody from South India, who has little to no knowledge of Hindi, uh, comes and learns fluent Hindi, they will not be praised. 
a tenth of the amount that I will be praised as an American white person having learned Hindi. If a Latinx person or an East a, a Korean person comes to learn an Indian language, there will be very little praise given because they kind of uh, may appear to look more Indian in a sense. So all, even though they had just as many barriers to learn the language that I did because of the way that I look and because I'm a white person, I get more praise, more accolades, more attention, more social media followers than anyone else. So there are definitely ways to abuse this privilege of taking the space of Indian people who have uh, the ability to speak on a topic. And I think this applies to any culture. So if you're a foreigner and you've learned a new language, people will often put you on a pedestal rather than actually listening to their own local people about what these unrelated topics to language learning. So I think we have to be really careful not to dive into uh, things which aren't relevant to our topic. It's always good to uplift local people, uplift native speakers, and remember your place as a guest in the culture if you are learning about this new culture and language. Of course, if you're not a white person or if you are uh, a different ethnicity from the place that you're going to be living, you might want to kind of discover ahead of time what preconceived notions or prejudice may be there. Again, I'm going to use an example from India. One of my pals uh, was from um, Virginia and she's an African-American woman. We were both young, the same age, and several of us were all living in northern India working at the time. This woman had a white roommate who both were beautiful girls by any beauty standard. Both of these girls were like, you know, absolutely gorgeous. And um, however, the way they were treated in India was very, very different. My one friend who was white would often get a lot of praise. People would sit and, and look at her and, and stare at her and talk to her. And this other woman who is African-American, in her own words, when people would look at her, would kind of say, that's different. <laughs> so it was almost like they wanted to be the white woman and the black woman was just different. So kind of understanding those uh, prejudices or those kind of misconceptions ahead of time will really help you in, in, in being able to navigate the language learning process and navigating your place, how you fit, and how you can uh, make the most of your language learning experience. You have to know too that people are conditioned to behave a certain way around foreigners and you have to fight that. So people may expect you to use the language in some way to benefit yourself or if you're just trying to do learn for your own good. Um, if you really just want to go learn the language without taking anything, uh, if you really want to give back, if you're, if you're a, a member of the community, I think people will realize that. Uh, just be careful, though, not to, again, get put up on a pedestal or kind of take a position of power, especially in a place if there are um, racial dynamics at play. The last point, number four, is practicing cultural humility. 
Of course, cultural intelligence and cross-cultural knowledge is something that we all desire, but it is fine and it is actually praiseworthy not to know everything. <laughs> to say, I don't know. To say, I'm not sure about that. Can you teach me? Or asking questions. When we make a mistake, breaking down those uh, assumptions that you may have, apologizing, admitting that you are wrong. This is an incredibly important part of language learning that uh, I would fair to, fair to say that you can never become fluent in a language without cultural humility, without allowing yourself to be corrected over and over, and without apologizing, owning your mistakes, and continuing forward with love and respect for the culture that you're going into. So in conclusion, I think there are some ways, some things that we do need to lose when we're going through a, uh, a cultural acclimation. Uh, and, and there are plenty of ways that we can prevent from entirely losing ourselves, losing our personality, becoming uh, someone that we're truly not. Uh, and sometimes it does take some time. It does take mistakes. It does take uh, a lot of learning and, and sometimes many, many years. So I just encourage all of you to continue on the road of language learning and, um, and, 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 and forging into new territories. Um, I did want to share uh, my podcast, which is called the Invisible India Podcast. We talk a lot about cross-cultural elements uh, and uh, some of these, these elements of language learning. I do talk a lot about Hindi learning process that I've been through, uh, South Asia in particular. We also talk about cross-cultural relationships, some of the dynamics of being in a cross-cultural or interracial, uh, interfaith relationship. The show also talks quite a bit about some of these principles of um, uh, white saviorism and volunteerism, doing more harm than good as a foreigner in a new culture. If you work in the nonprofit sector or in any way, I do have a couple of episodes talking particularly about uh, some of these topics. I do welcome Q&A. I'm sorry that I can't be there in person or live to accept uh, the Q&A, but let's do it on social media. Let's do it on email. Uh, you can uh, write to me on social media and we, you know, of course, hash using the, the Burning Man hashtags. Uh, I'll be on, I'll be watching from here in India and participating that way. So feel free to at me. Um, my tag on most of my social media is Invisible India on Instagram, and of course I'm on YouTube. On Twitter, I'm India Invisible. On Facebook, India Invisible. You can also look me up on LinkedIn, and my name is Jessica Kumar. My show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and basically everywhere that podcasts can be found. I appreciate all of you listening. I hope you have a fantastic rest of the uh, experience at Burning Man. I wish I could be with you, but let's connect. If you're really excited about the show, I would suggest that you go onto our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash invisibleindia. And there are different levels where you can contribute to our podcast. As you know, this you don't necessarily get paid for doing a podcast. And so this is a way that you can support our show and get access to information and also help us to make decisions about the show like 
naming things and giving us inputs on the show that we definitely take to heart and put into things. So uh, go ahead and join our Patreon community. We just had a new person sign up, Craig. So thanks, Craig. I just want to give you a shout out for joining us on our elite level. Woohoo! What happens when you join on Patreon is you get additional content, you get direct access with us, and you can basically guarantee to get a response from us. One thing that I also do, especially with the higher levels, is I provide specific recommendations for anything from learning Hindi, or if you're a business person in India, uh, sending special resources that I've come to know of, of my journey of working in both the nonprofit world and in the IT world in India. So yeah, go ahead and check us out on Patreon and we would certainly appreciate your support there. The lowest level is something like $3 and goes up to 15 bucks. (laughs) 